595, 595. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, and I hope that is true for you today. Thy word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path always, to guide and to save me from sin, and show me the heavenly way. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee, that I might not sin, that I might not sin, Thy word have I hid in my heart. Forever, O Lord, is thy word established and fixed on high. Thy faithfulness unto all men abideth forever nigh. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That I might not sin, that I might not sin, thy word have I hid in my heart. At morning, at noon, and at night, I ever will give thee praise. For thou art my portion, O Lord, and shall be through all my days. Thy word have I hid in my heart. That I might not sin against thee, that I might not sin, that I might not sin, thy word have I hid in my heart. Through him whom thy word hath foretold, the Savior and morning star, salvation and peace have been brought to those who have strayed afar. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. That I might not sin, that I might not sin, thy word have I hid in my heart. Amen. And if you have hid his word in your heart, turn to page 575. You will follow where he leads. Amen. Where he leads. I'll follow, 575. Sweet are the promises, kind is the word, dearer far than any message man ever heard. Pure was the mind of Christ, sinless was he. He the great example is and better for me. Where he leads, I'll follow, follow. follow, follow Jesus every day. Sweet is the tender love Jesus has shown, sweeter far than any love that mortals have known. Kind to the erring one, faithful is he, he the great example is for me. Where he leads I'll follow, follow I'll follow, follow Jesus every day. List to his loving words, come unto me, 
weary, heavy laden, there is sweet rest for thee. Trust in his promises, faithful and sure. Lean upon the Savior and thy soul is secure. Where he leads, I'll follow, follow all the way. Where he leads, I'll follow, follow Jesus every Amen. Doesn't hurt to hear it again, right? All right. Where he leads, I'll follow. We can because of his great faithfulness. 818. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. Shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not like compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness.
Amen. And you may be seated. There we go. Maybe Peter get me one after the prayer request time. After, so we don't disturb anything here. Okay. Um, take your prayer list if you need one. If you, I mean, if you have one, if you need one, raise your hand. We'll try to get somebody to get you one. Uh, there should be a stack of them here somewhere. Ah, Stevie's got them. Okay. Don't withhold them there, son. Um, I think I read the... Usher's report correctly, we had 85 this morning. Amen. Boy, in Sunday school, I thought we were going to have 25, but praise the Lord. People kept coming in and coming in, and uh, five visitors. Uh, we had some people from Toledo, Ohio this morning, and it's another family from Michigan, so praise the Lord. And uh, last week, we prayed. Uh, Peter had an interview last Monday, and he got his job, so he'll be working full-time for the rest of the summer and then part-time in the fall and maybe an opportunity to get back on full-time toward uh, the end of the year. So praise the Lord for that. So And pray for him. He's got to earn the job and keep it yet, but uh, he's past the first stage, so we praise the Lord for that. All right. And praise the Lord for the good 4th of July celebration. Anybody else? I have to shout real loud. The air conditioning's on. All right. Man. Amen. Okay, we've been praying for our Brandon Sino with cancer. Uh, at first, the treatments were not working very well, but uh, he called last week, told Gene and Desiree that treatments are working now, and we'll just give God the credit for that. Amen. Praise the Lord. Pardon? Okay, send him a copy of the prayer letter with the prayer list with his name on it. So praise the Lord for that. All right, any other praises? Front. We just have been getting a lot uh, better at work, and I just praise the Lord that uh, things just keep moving in the right direction, and hopefully this week will be a lot better. So I'm just thankful for those who are praying, and just keep praying. But um, then things did get better, so I praise the Lord. Amen. Everybody heard that? Things are getting better at Brother Franz's work. We've been praying for it, and things are getting better, so praise the Lord. All right. Anita? Okay, praise the Lord for his daily provision and his daily protection over us. Amen. All right, anybody else? Rita. Okay, praise the Lord. Ricardo passed, passed his test, right? Oh, okay. Everything went well when he took it. Okay, we don't have the results yet, but it looks good. So praise the Lord for that. Okay. 
let's pray. Oh, okay. You have to, okay. Philip has something to praise the Lord about, but we're not quite sure what it is. So. We'll put it down as an unspoken praise, all right? All of us need those once in a while. Okay. That's good. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your watch care over us. We thank you for all that you do. Lord, we're thankful for the few little things that we can see. And we're, Lord, we just want to go on record praising you and thanking you for all the things that we cannot and do not see. Lord, we're thankful that we can trust you with the world in which we live. We're thankful that the only thing we need to do to be safe and secure in this crazy world is to put our faith and trust in you. We thank you for your provision at work. We thank you for giving Peter this opportunity at a full-time job. And, Lord, we just thank you for providing daily in, in every way that you do. We thank you for your blessings of health and strength and for this one in the treatment of the cancer. And, Lord, we pray it be an opportunity to give the gospel and witness to this one. Lord, we just thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and turn to page 328. 328. Blessed be the tie that binds. Amen. 328. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Before our Father's throne, we pour our ardent prayers. Our fears, our hopes, our aims are one, our comforts and our cares. We share our mutual woes, our mutual burdens bear, and often for each other flows the sympathizing tear. When we asunder part, it gives us inward shall still be joined in heart and hope to meet again. Amen. And you may be seated. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation chapter 4. Three, I'm sorry, chapter 2. And... Uh, we started this two weeks ago, and if we can get through two churches tonight, we'll do one church per week, and uh, we will be finished the first week in August. And uh, so let's uh, just start here in chapter 2, 
And we're going to start in verse 8 and take just a few seconds. The church at Ephesus was the church that had left its first love, and they were warned by the Lord Jesus. Does this thing sound okay? It sounds fuzzy to me. But, okay. Anyway, it says, uh, uh, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, repent, and do the first works, else I will come to thee quickly, and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. He says, Thou hast this, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans. It says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, most of these churches are going to be offered a promise, a reprimand, a commendation, a condemnation. And uh, the first church kind of sets the pace for that. I mean, they were a great church. They were doing all of the right things. But they were not doing them for the right reasons. The motive was gone. It was, it was out of a sense of duty instead of a love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, if you'll just get this thing straightened out, he said, I will give thee to eat of the tree of life that is in the midst of the paradise of God. What a wonderful, wonderful promise. And it says, and unto the angel, we're going to read the letter to the second church, and unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and thy tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. This is one of the shortest letters to the churches. This is the church at Smyrna. Uh, these, again, were real churches in real cities that were having real services in about 100 A.D. when this letter was written. This is the last revelation that Jesus is giving to his churches. And uh, I, I really believe the context and the overriding idea here is that there are many different kinds of churches. There are seven different kinds that are listed here. Each one has its own set of problems, and somewhere along the line, we may find our church in one or more of these positions, like these churches, and these warnings are to us. I mean, there comes a time in, in almost everybody's life that, that you just start doing the things you know you should do because you know you should do them. When that happens, you need to listen. You need to hear what the Spirit saith to the churches and say, I can't live this way. I've got to get this thing straightened out so that I can be doing what I'm supposed to be doing, not only because I'm supposed to be doing it, 
but out of a heartfelt love of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the motivation that will keep you going when everything else runs out. There's, you will go so far because you feel an obligation. You might go a little further out of a sense of duty. But when you do what you do out of an honest and true love, there's absolutely no boundaries in what you're willing to face and what you're willing to endure. That's what Jesus wants for his church, amen? And we look at this church in Smyrna, and here's the things that he says. He says, I am the first and the last which is dead and is alive. He says, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty. He says, I know what you're going through, church, but thou art rich. He said, you've suffered a lot. You have very little of this world's goods. You think you're poor, but I'm the one who balances the books and I say, you're rich. And this is, you know, this church, there is, it's this church and the church of Philadelphia, Jesus has nothing bad to say about these churches. There is no, you need to straighten this out, you need to straighten this out. He says, I know what is going on. Now look at this one. I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Have you ever met any of the synagogue of Satan? I've met a few. Uh, you'll find them at uh, Times Square often stand there and they'll be, one of them will be holding the Bible and they'll say, what color was his feet? Bronze. Followers are Louis Farrakhan. They say they are Jews. They say the black people are the true Jews and everybody else is the heathens. You see, the Bible knew Louis Farrakhan was coming long before Louis Farrakhan did. And he, is, he and his followers are rightly called here in the scripture the synagogue of Satan. It's kind of scary because many Protestants put themselves in almost this same ideal. In fact, uh, it, they've actually borrowed it from the Roman Catholics in the fact that they say God has cast off the Jewish people and he has us now as his chosen people. Oh, you better be careful what you say. God has not forgotten the promises to Abraham and to Isaac. Those people are still God's chosen people. And you just wait until the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It is going to be some absolutely fabulous things. God is not finished with Israel yet. And if you have any question about that, just answer this question. Who's living in the land of Israel today? It's the physical descendants of Abraham. Not once in the history of this world has a people been dispossessed from their land, scattered to the four corners of the, of the world, and then brought back and put back in their land. 
The world community in the year 1948 voted to partition the land and to bring the Jews back and to give them a homestead in the land of Israel. Now, of course, they had plotted and planned and done everything they could to make sure that that Jewish state would only last a few hours. But somebody else was working, amen. Their plans were foiled. And within 48 hours of the announcement, the Jews had beaten back several incredible attempts to destroy their nation when it was only hours old. They would fight many wars and fighting a war right now. But that 1948 partition vote would have been very much similar to dividing the United States in half at the Mississippi River and giving half of it back to the American Indians, if you could imagine such a thing. That really would be the precedent that would have to be set to equal what has happened to Israel. Now, let me tell you, I don't think we have to worry about it in spite of the Onondaga Nation and some of the other things that are going on. If you've ever driven through the Indian Reservation up there on I-81 uh, as you're heading toward Syracuse, they still claim that they're going to overthrow the United States government and this land's all going to be theirs again, but uh, I, I don't think we have to worry about that. Um, yeah, it still goes on. But let me tell you, God put the Jews back. He's not done with them. There's many, many people out there that claim to be the true Jews. When anybody makes that claim, how many of you remember Herbert W. Armstrong? He used to sit on the radio. I, I remember watching this as a kid. I was flipping through the channels and hear this old man sitting, leaning back in his chair, picks up the telephone goes, Hello, God? Like he's talking to God over in the telephone. He claimed that the Anglo-Saxon American people were the ten lost tribes of Israel. Really did. Synagogue of Satan. Now we got to keep moving or we'll never get done. It is interesting that all of those who claim to be the true Jews persecute the true believers in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have uh, tribulation ten days. Now, if you want a phrase that has been maligned in the Scripture, boy, this is one of those phrases. You shall have tribulation ten days. And they go through Roman history, and they say, well, from the period of, of Nero in 64 A.D. Uh, until the end of his reign, and then and they go through ten different Roman emperors that persecuted the church. Well, let me tell you, there were more than ten emperors that persecuted Jesus the believers in Jesus Christ. Um, I, I think what you have to, to be careful here is just to read the words instead of trying to make them say something they don't mean. It says, thou shalt have tribulation ten days. Well, let me ask you something. Is ten days a short period? Well, when you match it up with eternity, most certainly ten days is very short. 
But if you had to endure tribulation 10 days, that would not be something short. It would feel more like 10 years. But it has an end. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying. You are going to endure suffering as a church, but there's going to come an end to that suffering. It's not going to be forever. It's going to be for a protracted period of time. It is not going to be just a matter of blinking your eye and it's all going to be over. That, that suffering is going to be protracted. It is going to be long. It is going to be difficult to go through. But you can survive 10 days, amen? That's what he's talking about. He says, just be faithful unto death. There are many, the, the, the history of the church, of Jesus' church, is written with the blood of those that have believed it. On my wall, I have a picture of, it's called the Christian's Last Prayer. It's in the circus at Rome, and, and of course, it's just an artist's rendition. We have no actual sketches or anything, but uh, I have that there to remind me of the price that our forefathers and, and foremothers, those that have gone before us, have paid to name the name of Jesus Christ. It has not been without great suffering. Even today, you have the, that little group of uh, Chinese dissidents, uh, what is something Fong or Hail Fong or something like that. I'm not pronouncing it right. But if you'll remember when uh, Chairman Mao, whatever his name is from China, was here, some lady started screaming at him in Washington, D.C. Uh, she is from that dissident religious group and you'll see them different places in Manhattan they'll have pictures of the torture and all the things that they have gone through yes those people have suffered for their religion but let me tell you nobody's going to tell you the history of the Christians that have suffered under the communist Chinese and the first of a long list of martyrs was John and Betty Stam American missionaries in the year 1934 who were massacred, who were just plain cold-blooded murdered, and their bodies left to lay in the snow. Their only crime was they loved Jesus. God does not require a lot from the persecuted church. He says, be faithful. He says, don't dip your colors. He says, don't deny that you know me. He says, if you'll listen, you'll not be hurt of the second death. He says, be faithful unto death. I'll tell you, if you have nothing worth dying for, how much do you have that's worth living for? Not much. If your life only consists of you and what makes you comfortable and what keeps you going and what helps you along and what makes you feel good, that is not much of a life, my friend. 
When you have the opportunity to live and be a part of something that is bigger than you and your family and your comfort and your understanding of life, to leave an heritage for the generation to come of the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not so difficult to be faithful, amen? Because it is the precious blood-stained banner of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we carry. Don't go looking for persecution. It's not what the Bible says. He said, the devil's behind the persecution, it's, but it says, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. And there is story after story. Some of them have been fancifully engrandized, and, but most of them were just simple, plain people who said, I will not worship the emperor. John Bunyan said, I will not take state approval to preach. I have God's approval and that of his church, and I need no other. Spent 12 years in prison while his little blind daughter and wife almost starved to death for the cause of freedom. says, thou shalt have tribulation ten days. The only thing I get out of that ten days is ten days can be an awful long time, but it gets over. It's going to end. It's not forever. Let's be faithful. Amen? Then we come to the next church. And to the angel of the church at Pergamos, write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas, my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. And so this is the letter to the third church, the church of Pergamos. He says, I know thy works. But look how he introduces himself. He which hath a sharp sword with two edges. Jesus is saying, listen, I carry not the weapon of my word in vain the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, Hebrews 4 tells us. And oft times, when we find ourselves in a situation like this church at, at uh, Pergamos, we want to start listing all the good things that we've done. Now look how God treats this thing. He lists all the good things they've done, and he says, nevertheless... He says, but I have a few things against thee. 
Jesus is not one that sweeps things under the carpet. Amen? He says, I know that you've been faithful. Antipas, he said, he is my faithful martyr. He was faithful unto death, just as the church at Smyrna was charged to be. He said, you have your church where Satan dwells. He said, your, your church is on the front lines. I mean, it is right there in the middle of the battle. It is as close as you can get. It says, where Satan's seat is. It says, but you have a few things that got to be straightened out. The doctrine of Balaam and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. How many remember Balaam? He was the dumbest man in the Bible because even his donkey was smarter than he was. Amen? Balaam was the man who had the real talking donkey. The only problem was the donkey made more sense than the prophet did. Isn't that a scary thought? God told Balaam, you're not going to go. So Balaam kept asking, and God said, go. Now, did God change his mind? No. Balaam thought God was one like himself who would change his mind. That's Balaam's first mistake, is he lowered God to the standard of human beings and said, Balaam... God, God, maybe he'll change his mind, so I'll ask him again. And surprise, surprise, God said go. So Balaam thought God had changed his mind. But Balaam gave counsel, according to this passage right here. He said, now listen, uh, Balak, son of Zippor, who was the king of the uh, Moabites, he said, God will not let me curse this people. But if you want to know how to curse them, I'll tell you how to do it. Does anybody remember the story of Cosby, the prince, princess of the Midianites? They uh, went on Operation Perfume, might we say. They got some of the prettiest Moabitish women, dressed them up as prettily as they could and enticingly as possible and sent them over to the camp of the children of Israel to say, hi there. I'll go to church with you if you'll go to church with me. And it says that he taught them to cast a stumbling block before them to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit fornication. You know, there's a lot of people out there today that are doing the exact same thing today. If you want to know one of the greatest teachers of the doctrine of Balaam today, is Dr. Billy Graham. He has, he has taught other churches how to go into their churches, other pastors, how to go into their groups, their assemblies, and bring people into those assemblies who do not teach the truth, never have taught the truth. When Billy Graham started out in 1955, 
Now, this is a story before my time, so I rely on the testimony of men like Brother Clayton. He said the Bible-preaching pastors in this city called New York approached Billy Graham and said, we want you to hold a citywide revival for us. And he said, I will not do it unless you get in all of the Protestant denominations. I want the Episcopal Church. The Episcopal Church has not preached the gospel regularly from its pulpit since the 1850s, my friend. And even then, it was in doubt in most places. You have to go back to Edward III in order to have a true gospel-preaching church. That was the son of King Henry VIII, by the way. I mean, that's how far back you have to go to find the gospel being preached in the Anglican or the Episcopal church. It's a scary thing. He said, I want the Presbyterians, not the low Presbyterians that preach the gospel, the high Presbyterians that haven't seen the gospel since John Knox. And all of those godless people came in and they brought with them the Bible-preaching churches, many of them in this city, and put a conglomeration together. And that's how Billy Graham got started. Doctrine of Balaam. Today, Billy Graham will not have a crusade without Catholic priests sitting on the platform. The leader of the last Billy Graham crusade here in New York City was the Pentecostal preacher down here in Long Island City. And when I was in Bible college in the 80s, they would not let the Pentecostals or the Charismatics have anything to do with their crusades. Just shows you how much change is in the air. The doctrine of Balaam is this idea of joining all the churches together. It is making one careless about doctrine. God cares about doctrine. He is very, very careful. He's given us 1,200 and some odd pages of Bible to define it. And we had better be careful what we do and what we allow with doctrine. Amen? The next one is the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. They were a group that believed in having special leaders. Now, there have been many great men down through history that have stood behind pulpits and preached God's Word. But I'm proud to say in the Baptist church, I shouldn't say I'm proud to say, I'm honored to say, uh, I am so happy to relate to you the simple fact that the Baptists have never worshipped men, with few exceptions. <laughs> the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. The difference between clergy and laity. I've been in preachers' meetings, not as a preacher, just as one of the little peons sitting in the pews, and Dr. So-and-so walked in, and the preacher who was preaching stopped his sermon so he could recognize Dr. So-and-so as he walked in. That's blasphemous. That's the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, is where we elevate men above other men, where we take a human being and place him between other men and God. That is the job of the high priest and the high priest alone, which is Jesus Christ.
But let me tell you, the Nicolaitans are alive and well today, just as well as the Balaamites are. Where do you think this Christian rock and roll music comes from? Doctrine of Balaam. Cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. Allow them to do things that will break the relationship between them and God. If you bring the world into the church, God is offended at what goes on in the church. The world cannot help us worship God. We must worship God, God's way. Oh yeah, I know, if we put a rock band on the stage, we could probably steal 200 members from Times Square Church, just like that. Because I'll guarantee we've had over 100 of them visit our church over the years. I just like a place that's a little more convenient. I'm sorry, Open Door Bible Baptist Church is not the place of convenience. Amen? We, we're not in here to allow you to live in the world and for Jesus at the same time because it's not possible. That's the doctrine of Balaam, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. That's why most of you have no idea, if I were to mention some of these, uh, I call them Baptist popes. Uh, they want people to follow them. Uh, most of you have probably heard the name Jerry Falwell, but you don't know very much about him. Uh, most of you, may, some of you may have heard, does anybody know who Jack Hiles is? Uh, very few people know him. Uh, let me see some of the others here. Uh, who cares? Uh, how about Keith Gomez? How about, uh, oh, let me see. Oh, what's the guy? There's two of them. Bob Gray in, in Texas. Does anybody know Bob Gray in Texas? I mean, these are men who want other men to follow them. Now, there's a reason you don't know those names. It's because I never mention them other than occasionally like this. I don't bring their literature in here. I don't bring Peter Ruckman's stuff in here. I don't bring any of those preachers who are trying to elevate themselves and have a following after them. That's the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. God says, I hate it. I've been in churches. In fact, my home church in Cleveland had a little group that, that prayed toward Hammond, Indiana, where Jack Hiles was. And another little group that prayed toward Pensacola, Florida. And I'll tell you, they got fighting with each other and caused a lot of problems in the church. I said, by God's grace, we won't have those problems at Open Door Bible Baptist Church because I'm going to spend a lot of time preaching against, listening to, and elevating people. You say, you want to elevate yourself. Now, you haven't been here very long. We want to elevate the Lord Jesus Christ in this book called the Bible, period. I'm just the messenger. Now, I like my job. I love my job. Don't want to do anything else but be the messenger of the Lord Jesus Christ. But don't get your eyes on me. You keep them on the Lord, amen? Jesus said, if you don't do these things, I'm going to come quickly and I'm going to fight against them. Jesus said, I'm going to fight against those rascals that are in my church. 
Now, if you have Jesus fighting against people in his church, what in the world is that church going to be doing? Not much. Not much for the cause of Christ because Christ himself is fighting against the individuals in that church and that church is going to be in a turmoil and that church is not going to get anything done that counts for God. This is what we call the spinning wheel syndrome. You ever been on an ice pad and just spun your wheels? I mean, that speedometer might be reading 100 miles an hour, but you're going nowhere. And you better hope that it doesn't melt through the ice and grab a hard spot <laughs> while those wheels are spinning or it's going to trash your entire drivetrain just that quick. When Jesus starts fighting against that church, those people in that church, that church is not getting anything accomplished that Jesus wants it to have happen. I've been in churches. You can walk in them and you can feel the cold. And it's not because they have a pastor like you do that turns the air conditioning way down. I mean, it could be 90 degrees in that auditorium and it still feels cold. Because you have people in that church that God is fighting against himself. We need to be careful. We need to examine. Remember that church at Ephesus? They tried them that said they were apostles and found out that they were false, false apostles. That's one of the things I love about Heartland Baptist Bible College, by the way. There's Brother Davidson. Most people call him Brother Sam. He's not looking to people to kiss the ring and to lift him up and to be some great leader. I heard him saying in the, in the board meeting at Heartland, he says, our school, we're not looking to be the largest school. We're not looking to recruit. We understand that God has some people for this school, and there's a lot of people out there that just aren't necessarily going to be a part of this school. He said, we just want the ones that God has for us. And if we remain the size we are for the next 25 years, he says, I'll be pleased that God is doing what he wants to do. Now, that's a heart attitude, unlike what's going on in a lot of these Bible schools that are trying to build a following. And I mean, it's funny to watch these guys. They come out coughing and burping and everything, just like their great hero does. About the only thing I know you could do to follow Brother Sam is polish your shoes the way he does, but uh, that would even be a hard one to follow. One of these days, we're going to have Brother Davidson out here to preach for us. He said he'd be willing to come. And uh, we just got to find a time in his schedule when it's going to fit. But he's a humble man, and I love him for that. There's a lot of people out there looking to bolster their own position and their own place. Not of God. We want to bolster Jesus Christ. Amen. We want everybody to be centered in on this book called the Bible. It says, To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. Now, let me tell you something. We, 
I have had the opportunity as your pastor to hook on to some of these guys that want the following. And we could have gotten a lot of money and a lot of work done in our building and a lot of things happen all for free. We could have a Bible college meeting in our property right now if we wanted to. That was offered to us. And all the bills would be paid by somebody else. Here's the only problem. If somebody else is paying all the bills and somebody else is running the whole show, then what are we doing? We're just renting space. You know what? God didn't give us this property just to rent space. He gave us this property to utilize for His glory the way He sees fit. That's what it means, the hidden manna. You follow God simply. I've been told by pastors, you'll never have a self-supporting church in New York City. Just not going to happen. Well, miracles do occur, amen? And every week the offering comes in. I don't know what this offering is going to be. I hope it's a big one because we really need it. We got a lot of bills this week. But listen, God's always, always provided. But it hasn't come through the ways that most people would think. It's the hidden manna, amen? Because you're not looking. Somebody wake that boy up. And he said, you do it, preacher. You put him to sleep, right? You take a nap next Sunday afternoon, young man. It says, and I will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saying, He that receiveth it. Now, I've read a lot of stuff on this. And you want, you want me to tell you what I honestly believe? That this was meant to be kept secret? Amen. Have you ever had a special relationship with another human being. And you have one of the things in an Italian family, if you don't have at least three nicknames, you really don't belong there. I mean, you just call people little names. I mean, we have to figure out names for all 10 kids, but then we got to figure out nicknames for all 10 kids. And I won't embarrass some of the older ones by telling them, telling you their nicknames. But uh, they're something only a family could enjoy. Amen? I believe that's what Jesus is talking about here. He says, I'm going to give you a special name that's special just between you and me. Now, if that's not cool, I don't know what cool is. Amen? If that's not wonderfully special, that Jesus would take time to figure out a special nickname just for you. That alone would make you want to stand against the Nicolaitans and the Balaamites. Amen? He says, I'm going to provide for you, and it's not going to be all this big stuff, and it's not going to be all this fanfare. It's going to be the hidden manna. He told the persecuted church, he said, you just hold on. He said, some of you are going to die. He said, but you just be faithful. There's a lot things worse than dying, amen? 
said, you be faithful. He said, I will give to you the crown of life. He told the church at Pergamos, if you've got any of these wrong ideas, you get it fixed quick. Or you're going to be fighting against me. That is a frightening thought. He said, but if you'll overcome, he said, I'll feed you of the hidden manna, and I'll give you a stone, a new stone, a stone, a white stone, it says, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Now I hope and pray that our church would never fall into the position of a church at Pergamos where we have those things going on at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. But I'll tell you, the only way it's going to happen is by vigilance on the part of each member to work at keeping these things right and these things true. And we'll continue seeing God's provision and wouldn't it be wonderful to have a secret name just between you and God? A term of endearment, save for the most intimate relationships human beings have with Jesus. Whew. I like these letters to the churches, amen? We better listen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask for your grace and your work in our hearts and lives. We pray that you would keep our church the kind of church you would have it to be. And Lord, we would not have to fight some of these battles. That we would fight them every day, just a little bit of a time so that it would not become such an overriding thing that you would have to stop and correct us. Give us grace to be your servants. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, we'll just give you the opportunity to spend a few minutes in an old-fashioned altar or pray right there at your seat, whichever you prefer. Let's prepare our hearts for the prayer time that follows.